the Art of Leadership Network. Hey leaders, before we jump into today's episode, I want to talk to you about a free mastermind that I am doing March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. If you haven't yet registered, uh, please do so. You can go to influencekickstarter.com. I'm going to talk about the art of online influence, something I really haven't taught on before. And you can bring your whole team. So whether it's you yourself trying to grow your online influence, your church, your business, trying to build an online presence can be intimidating. You know, it can be discouraging. It can feel like you're taking a shot in the dark. But here's the thing. You got to get your message out because your influence determines how seriously people take that message. So on March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, I'm hosting a free mastermind on how to build an influential online presence doesn't have to be intimidating. It's not complicated. doesn't have to be gimmicky. I hate gimmicks. And it doesn't have to ruin your integrity. Register for free today at influencekickstarter.com. So I'll see you March 1st, 2nd, 3rd. Go to influencekickstarter.com and we'll see you there. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 477 of the podcast. It's Carrie here. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And today I sit down with Jenny Allen and we have a great conversation. Um, she is pretty raw and open about why relationships can be hard because you keep hearing like I do how important relationships are. And yet, you know what happens, you get burned and friendships dissolve in flames. And we talk about it. We talk about the pain and the promise of friendship, what to do when you naturally resist community and how to find your people uh, transparently. And we'll go there. This has been a challenge for me too. So Jenny and I have an honest conversation, and I know we are not alone. Some of you are probably like, yep, I'm done with people. Well, you came to the right episode. And we want to thank our partners for bringing you this episode. Listeners of this podcast can receive a lifetime founder's discount to their creative outreach platform, CreateTivo, by going to CreateTivo slash carry, that's C-R-A-T-I-V-O dot org slash carry. And by The Unstuck Group, take their Unstuck Church Assessment for free by going to theunstuckgroup.com slash Carrie. And of course, you spell Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y. Well, Jenny and I are going to get into it. Jenny is a best-selling author. Uh, she's the founder and visionary behind If Gathering, as well as the New York Times best-selling author of Get Out of Your Head, Made for This, Anything and Nothing to Prove. She's a frequent speaker at national events and conferences. She's a passionate leader following God's call in her life to catalyze a generation to live what they believe. She's earned a master's in biblical studies from Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, well, we have a great conversation. So anybody who's been in leadership for more than 20 minutes, I think is going to benefit from this one. So question for you, are you a small or mid-sized organization looking for a new website and great social media content at an affordable price? Let me introduce you to Creativo. Creativo is a brand new all-in-one creative outreach platform designed to impact your audience and will be easily managed with drag and drop technology. With Creativo, you're going to look amazing online with a great website and social media content. You're going to save time by managing your social media and website in minutes. You'll save money. It's far less than a Starbucks a day. And you'll utilize cross-platform management in iPhone, Android, and desktop with the same experience. Creativo is great for churches, nonprofits, schools, and entrepreneurs. 
to manage your social media in minutes each week. For a new website and great social media in 2022, check out Creativo. Listeners of this podcast can receive a lifetime founder's discount by going to creativo.org slash carry. That's C-R-E-A-T-I-V-O dot org slash C-A-R-E-Y. And most organizations, as you know, they start, they grow, they thrive, and then what happens? They lose momentum, then they decline, and eventually they end. But that doesn't have to be your church's story. If you want to lead a healthy, growing church that continually reaches new people and helps them take steps toward Christ, you need a clear vision, effective ministry strategy, and a high-impact team. That's why I recommend the Unstuck Group. They've helped over 500 churches clarify their vision, where God's calling them to go, and their strategies, how they're going to get there. And I can say from experience that the time that I spent engaging with their process at Connexus Church was two of the best days of strategic planning I've ever done. And if you want to get a picture of where your church health is today, here's how to get started. Take their free Unstuck Church Assessment by going to theunstuckgroup.com slash carry. It's a free assessment. Go to theunstuckgroup.com slash carry. And as you know, things have changed a lot. Even if you did it a few years ago, do it again uh, because you're going to learn things about you. So theunstuckgroup.com slash carry. And now let's have a conversation with Jenny Allen. I think you'll love this one. And just so you know, too, uh, we shot this at the If Gathering Studios in Dallas. And uh, they did a beautiful job. So thank you to the crew at If Gathering and Jenny and her team. So if you want to check that out on YouTube, it's also there. Jenny, it's just uh, great to have you back on the podcast. Yes, it's so good to be here, Carrie. And you're hosting. Like, here we are in Dallas in yes. your brand new studio. Thank you for coming all the way from Canada to Dallas, Texas. That's right. Flew <laughs> down here, do this interview. It's nice to be flying again. Yes. It's nice to be here. And for those of you listening, we do have a YouTube channel. You can yeah. check it out. We got like three cameras going on this one. This yeah. Is- this is pretty fancy. neat. We're fancy stuff. at If Gathering. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been on before. People will remember that interview a lot. A long time, you know, listeners, leaders will remember that interview. Your book exploded. Mm. And so, and before we talk about your new book, which I absolutely love, by the way, thanks for the advanced copy. Your book just exploded last time. Mm. Any idea why Get Out of Your Head <laughs> just took off like it did? I mean, I wish there was a recipe and we'd recreate (laughs) it, right? I can't explain it. All of us would love that. I I have been doing this a long time. I think it's always important for people to know this isn't like an overnight thing for me. This is probably, I think this was my fourth book. Uh, This was shocking to me. This book specifically had a unique story because I was supposed to write another book. I had mostly written another book, still have it um, somewhere. So I should pull that out and make sure it's not more timely now. But I just wasn't passionate about it. It was kind of fulfilling a contract and I didn't want to do that. Uh, And I asked permission from my publisher if I could just wait another year. And so they said yes. And I said, I really, if I'm going to wait another year, I want to write the book that I'm thinking about all the time, which was Get Out of Your Head. I was reading about it, studying it. I just couldn't wait to write it. So I set that other book aside and I wrote Get Out of Your Head, bought a year on my contract. And so when it came out in God's, Providence, it was one month before COVID and quarantine. Yeah. So you can't script that kind of thing, right? Like God, mm-hmm. God had to postpone the book I was writing, bug me enough for me to listen. Cause you don't want to just set down 20,000 words or so that I'd written. You want to publish that. That's a lot of work, yeah. but, but I knew in my gut, I was supposed to write this other book. And so I mean, when I say it's God, I don't mean that trite. I mean it like he kept me from writing this book, had me wait a year and write this book, and then had it released right before COVID. 
And the stories I've heard from it, I mean, it, it honestly makes me tear up because I feel like I got to be a good friend to a lot of people through COVID. Mm. And I didn't plan it. I didn't know. I had no premonition that this was going to happen. I just was obedient and God really steered the ship. But because of the timing of the book and the subject matter of the book, I got to take care of people in the midst of an isolating time, in the midst of a lot of anxiety, in the midst of um, a lot of spinning. So Hmm. many people that don't believe God have read my book. That's probably the most surprising thing. A lot of them have been offended and left bad reviews. Like, I didn't know this was about God and they're they're mad. (laughs) So they're the one star, two star reviews. Yes, totally. But because it is about God and it is, I mean, that's my hope. That's my answer, right? But but I think there were a lot of people that needed hope and needed an answer and they were open in this season. I'm always interested in how ideas spread. Yeah. And, you know, as an author myself who, uh, you know, sold some books and, you know, podcaster and that kind of thing, there are certain ideas that just take off yeah. and they spread. So when you look back on it, were there certain stories you keep hearing? Like, yeah. you know, because uh-huh. you, you, everybody, this is for every leader. We have so many content people listening who produce content. Yeah, you can market it, but it's not like every single day on your social, it's like, buy my new book, get no, out of your head. No. Like there's ideas that just spread. So any yeah. looking back on it, clues that said, hey, this idea took off, friends told friends, like what, what do you have any insight Well, on I think I think doing the science with the Bible for sure. But mm. but the main story that I hear is I was so vulnerable. And, and I talk uh, about in that book, I talked about a season of doubt and so many people related to that. Wow. And it was embarrassing, candidly. I remember my... <laughs> my editor said, Jenny, if you talk about this, people might view you as a hypocrite because all the while, those 18 months that you write about, you were you were on stages talking about God. Like, are you comfortable? Really, have you played this out? And then the other thing was, I, I believe that was demonic. I think there mm-hmm. was a lot of warfare around it. And I was really candid about that. And I told stories that to me were going to keep me off New York Times, were going to keep me off of major mainstream media. So it was a very graphic, supernatural experience, the book was. And I just thought, well, I'm going to give up on the mass market. I mean, no Target, nothing like that. And the irony, right? Like that was, I mean, it was the most, like Target sold next to Amazon the most books. So it's weird to me that that was the book because huh. I thought even reading the audio right before, you know, that's the last thing we do as oh, authors. Yeah, yeah. We read and the audio. Like, oh, I wrote this, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and and I candidly read that book out loud and I I went home and cried the first night I was reading out loud just because I, I felt like it wasn't, it wasn't good and it wasn't strong and it was about to go out into the world. I know this wow. is my head. I'm in okay. my head. I needed the book. Yeah. Um, so, so it was interesting how well it did to me. I, I really was not prepared for it or could have imagined it. No. Yeah, and we talked last time, and we'll link to it in the show notes, but about how you've mobilized a community yeah. and how ideas spread. Like the If Gathering, the If Community is yeah. a pretty cool thing. So, you know, I find a lot of leaders, and I don't want to gender stereotype, but we, I bounced some of this off you before we started recording. You said, no, I don't think it's gender stereotyping. Like, I find often guys try to gr- draw a crowd, like, here's my idea, come and listen and what I'm noticing about you and some other female writers that I've really appreciated, Lisa Turkers, Dan Voskamp, and others, mm-hmm. just to, to name a few, there's there's a whole tribe who write in a very vulnerable, authentic way. But they have, you have, um, a group of people who you do community with and do battle with day in and day out. 
how can you explain just maybe underscore that a little bit for uh, to refresh my memory the memory of of leaders sort of about your approach to building a tribe to mm-hmm. building a community well i would say it was it wasn't very thought out because for <laughs> me i wasn't a writer and i wasn't a, a founding visionary leader of an organization and i wasn't a podcaster to me i was a disciple maker and i look back mm-hmm. at my whole life and beginning when I was saved um, at at summer camp when I was 17, I came home, even though I didn't have a model for this, I gathered a bunch of younger girls and I started teaching them the Bible. So I just, I was always a disciple maker. And when I got to college, Campus Crusade for Christ, um, you know, that was the ministry I was a part of. And and Michelle Boast brought me into her living room and, and she would cook chocolate chip cookies. And I would sit on the carpet of her floor and just learn. I mean, we read dorky books like Master Plan of Evangelism in college. That wasn't cool. But but I was discipled by her and it, it mm. taught me how to, to do it. And, and so for me, it was always that. I was never aspiring to all those things. I know that sounds yeah. crazy to people listening because I think it looks like you wouldn't have this, you know, quote empire without aspire, aspiration. And certainly I have dreams, but I would say looking back, discipleship was the thing. So when God gave mm. me more, when God gave me a platform, which happened through my Bible studies, I would write Bible studies and people were asking me to print them and send them their way. Um, I got tired of that. So I, I reached out, you know, I went to a writer's retreat, got a publishing contract. That was the door for me. That was the only door I really pushed wide open. And, and, and even that God had to help because I didn't have a platform at the time. And yet Thomas Nelson signed me and it's just kind of a miracle. But, but I would say I knew why the doors were opening. I knew it was to help people to build tools for people to make disciples. I never was confused about my mission. So when I'm doing all these things, I'm not thinking to myself, I'm going to gather a crowd or I'm going to, you know, try to sell out an event. It's, it's more of, I'm going to equip people to make disciples wherever they are. I'm going to build a tool they can use with their book club or their small group. I'm going to put something in their hands that they can gather around and have deeper conversations around God, like if gathering. We're going to give them things that they are the heroes of that story, right? Like mm-hmm. all the time, the mm-hmm. most of the people that come up to me anywhere I am that, that say hi, they tell me the story of their small group. They tell me the story of their unbelieving friends that they invited over to read my book and how they're all, you know, experiencing God now. They're telling me communal stories. They're not telling me stories about their own personal life change. They're telling me stories about how they've done something with the materials I've put in their hands and gathered people. And so because I always knew I wasn't the, the hero of the story that God was, but also they were, that they were going to be the ones to gather and to equip and disciple. And I would just give them tools. I feel like it always gave you know, it put my work into perspective that I wasn't trying to sell the most books. I was trying to produce the most helpful books. And, and it's cool because I do think that has spread and people feel that from me that, that I'm just trying to help them win and help them lead the people they love. There's almost a sense, and I, I sense it in your story. It's certainly been true for me that the things that I've ended up being successful at, I don't know whether you'd agree with this in your own life, have almost been accidental. A hundred percent. Really? You see that too? A hundred percent. Tell me about that. What What's behind the accidental? Like, well, yeah. People's jobs depend on me now, right? So right. I have a staff, I have um, publishers that their jobs, you know, you want to do well, so they yeah, do well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's not that I don't work hard and it's not that we don't do everything we should, right? We're, we're planning right. for this next book launch and we'll do a lot of, specific things strategically to make sure as many people as possible can get this book and know about it. But I do think you can do all that and not win. Like yeah, I, yeah. I fully expect that to be it the case, right? It's like, point. I, I don't know that I'll ever have another thing like get out of your head, get out of your head. Yeah. Maybe my best selling book of all time. 
I may write 20 more and none of them sell like that. I, I don't see this as an up and to the right thing. Mm. I see this as a faithful thing. And when I do the thing that mm. God has called me to do, and the next thing was always clear to me, it was to write a book about community because that was the greatest weapon we had in the war of our minds was the people, besides the word of God, the people right. around us that can help us fight. So I knew that was what I was supposed to write because it's the most helpful next step. Do I think it's as marketable as get out of your head in the middle of COVID? I don't. <laughs> so- you know, I think it's marketable. I think, but I'm not even thinking that way. I'm like, I think it's a helpful tool. And I think people are lonely. And I think that could help them not be so lonely. So I see a need and I I write to it. And then if it succeeds, great. But I don't see my other books as failures. And some of them kind of were, if I look back, like <laughs> even now, like I look at the numbers, I'm like, man, that one really underperformed. But I never felt that way in the midst. I felt like, and maybe I will now that something succeeded so much, but I felt like, they were still helpful. And if you read the reviews, people's lives were changed through those. So I've always made being helpful the goal and rather than successful. Did you have any hesitancy or did it spook you a little bit that because Get Out of Your Head did so well, you're like, oh, maybe I should just, this is it. Like we're done. Like, or was oh. it hard to write something else? After oh, that? I, I just had the most miserable year of my life writing Find Your People. I, oh. I've never had a harder time. And it isn't, it wasn't a personal pressure because of what I'm saying. I genuinely believe what yeah. I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not being fake or like giving sure, you the right sure. answer. I want it to be helpful. If it's helpful, yay. But there was an outside pressure, you know? And, and you know, I, even today, like we did a marketing call earlier today and there's just an outside pressure of here's the numbers we want to hit. Now there is an expectation mm-hmm. where I got to blow everybody's expectations away on the last book. Right. They thought now here and you delivered like, here. No, yeah. and right. And now they're saying, Let's double. And I'm like, hey guys, and I'm saying it out loud. I'm not like, oh yeah, y'all, let's let's double. I'm like, you know what? Okay, like y'all can have that in your head, but I'm just gonna tell you right now, we cannot necessarily hit those numbers. And I don't want everybody to be disappointed if and when we don't, when a lot of people buy it and a lot of people are helped. So let's just bring it down a little. I don't think they really do on paper. I think they leave all their numbers alone, but <laughs> I mean, I'm trying, you know? And I And yeah. I think, I just think it's a silly game because- God knows who needs this. And I've seen him get it to people that are atheists, right? Like, how mm-hmm. do they get my book? And mm-hmm. and I just know he can get it to anybody. I, I remember a few weeks into the launch, Cosmopolitan made it one of their top reads, which was oh, hysterical. Wow. It's not like my market. Cosmopolitan yes. made it a top yes. read. And it was like one of the best books of the year or something. And 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 they had the funniest thing, they even cussed in it. They were like, it's like Jenny Allen knew the blank was gonna hit the fan. Like <laughs> I was like, I cannot even, do they know? And they said it's about God. They were honest about what it was. I'm wow. like, there had to be a Christian back there pulling those strings, but but you can't make that happen. My PR people didn't send it to Cosmo, you know? <laughs> and so I'm like, God's favor is the is the marketer. Is it, When mm. he wants it to get to people, it will get to people. And I really do believe that and trust that. Now on launch day this year, if we underperform, you'll, you know, somebody will have to comfort me and remind me that I said this, but, but I do believe that, that it's okay and I'll be fine. Yeah. And I like my life. I've invested in my family. I know this is off topic here, but but I love my marriage. I love my kids. Like I've got friends. If I fail as a writer and they don't let me ever do it again, I'm okay. Well, and thank you for continuing to write. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that Steve Jobs thing, real artist's ship. Like at the end of the day, you can get this paralysis <laughs> where oh, yeah. you're <laughs> like, I'm not writing anything else. I'm not doing anything else. And I think we've all been there. And post covid I mean, almost every leader's there. Very few people are leading something bigger than they did two years ago. That's true. And so there's that fear that my best days are behind me. Mm. So that's a, a really good word. But about your new book, 
thank you for giving me an advanced copy. Mm. I had a, we arranged this fairly hastily. So I had a quick read through it, but man, you hooked me. Mm. That introduction, which you wrote after the book, you had me from the first line. Yeah. And I've read a lot of books. (laughs) It's so, well, it's pretty transparent. (laughs) It's really raw. Mm. And basically, I don't want spoiler alert. You're like, you can spoiler. I'm not very good at community. Like, I'm, you had a full blown panic. You're writing a book about finding your people and the importance of community. And you're like, I stink at this. Yeah. And you had a panic attack after you wrote the book. Yeah. I hadn't had a physical panic attack where I could not breathe in 10 years or more. Wow. Haven't had many in my life and the book was done and I'm on my closet floor and I can't barely get words out and I'm on all fours and I can't breathe. And it absolutely had to do with a series of events that I talk about in the book that led me to it, but mostly to do with feeling like a fraud that I was going to lose Mm. the community I'd just written a book about. And and I was going to have to go on stages and on interviews. And I was going to have to talk about having your people. And I will have lost everybody, every one of mine that was in the book. You know, every, it felt like every relationship was, was in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was, yeah, it was dark. And, and I've learned, you know, I've learned to say out loud the thing I fear. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wrote the beginning of the book. Because I thought, what if this doesn't get repaired? Or what if this happens again? I'm like, I'm just going to say that it could. Because we all go into building relationship with friends and community with that knowledge that it could all fall apart. In fact, yeah. that's why most of us guard ourselves from it. So it helped me to write it, to just say, this is my fear. And it didn't happen. Those relationships are all well and restored. It was a weird few weeks that they all just happened to be but on the line. But you had a bunch of people mad at you. I had for different personally. reasons, community falling through um, that had been a lifeline for me for four years. And then also just family members that I depend on that, that yes, we're angry. I mean, it was just kind of a series of letting a lot of people down. So just to frame it, <laughs> you'd written a book, <laughs> finished the manuscript, yeah. which is a major feat. It's like, I got the the the, the bow on the book yep. on finding your people and on community and your community starts to disintegrate yep. overnight. Right. Wow. It was really, really scary. And this, you're very honest in the book. This has happened before. As it had just... I mean, that's happened in my life. I've had friendships dissolve. And if I really think about it, it's still painful. And, you know, as a leader, <laughs> uh, we'll get into this later. Um, that's hard. Mm-hmm. And a lot of leaders are lonely. Yes. So this has been like a lifelong struggle for you to find people no. that you feel close to? No, no. I actually used to be really good at it. Really? I used to be, in fact, when my husband met me, the thing he knew about me before we met was that she's the most transparent girl I've ever met. I used to be very transparent. And then life happened. And I was a pastor's wife. I was a leader. And people were looking at me. And my mom used to say in middle school, Jenny, people aren't thinking about you as much as you think they're thinking about you. (laughs) But then as a pastor's wife, they were. And they had opinions about everything. And I just, I think there, I think it was a slow build of a wall that that I worked hard on. And I don't even go back that far necessarily in the book and explain all that. Um, but there were a lot of reasons why I I built a wall. And I would, you know, I do, I do describe this, that I would like peek out the window and be like, is it safe? And hi, and like act, kind of be transparent, but it was very controlled. And then I would, I would you know, go duck back down. I'd put a little bit out just so they think they knew me, but I wouldn't ever just cry with a friend about what was really going on with my life. I would... I would posture it and 
and come up with the answer. And, and I would say, Carrie, I'm still learning to do that. Like I did it this week. I, I was in small group and it was 10 o'clock at night and I wanted to go to bed and I was the last one to share. And I knew I had a choice and I have a lot going on right now. We've gone through a lot personally in the last six weeks that has been very difficult. And I was like, if I, if I share, I'm going to ball and I'm going to take up all the oxygen, right? I'm going to be needy. I'm going to, all the things that we don't want to do as leaders. And, and I, or I could go to bed or I could give the little window appearance and be like, things have been hard, but we're okay. You know, we're going to make it. Yep. We're reading your prayers. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I'm really good at. I'm really mm, good at fake, same. fake vulnerability where you think you leave thinking, yeah, that was pretty vulnerable, but I was completely controlling it. Instead, this was two nights ago. I bawled my eyes out, like snotty, bawled my eyes out, like, like bawling, crying. And, and they were there for me. And for the last 48 hours, they've been able to tell me they're praying for me. They've been able, in fact, the next morning, my friend said, I just want you to know how close I feel to you. And I'm so glad you shared that. And I wasn't a burden to them. That's the thing I've learned is, mm. is when I go there, I don't disappoint them. I'm not surprisingly more broken than they thought. I'm human and, and it's helpful and it brings connection. So let's talk about that. What is the fear? What is the fear of being really like on the floor, bawling, snotty, crying? Because guy leaders have been there too. It's not just a male-female thing. I've been there and it's afraid. Think, I'm afraid to let people in. I think every leader, I think every human's there right now. Mm. It's the universal um, crisis, right? We're all, we're all together collectively burnt out, exhausted, trying to do our lives post-COVID in a way or post-quarantine in a way that that feels difficult. Everything's changed. So we're all a little PTSD and that's real and scientific and people are starting to talk about it more. And I say that because I think everybody listening needs to come to terms with the fact that if they are not talking about how they feel, even if it feels small, then they are increasingly getting more unhealthy by the minute. You will not heal without people in your life. You will not heal alone in your head. Community was the next book for me because in Get Out of Your Head, it was the linchpin. It was when the moment of 18 months of spiritual attack and doubt changed for me. I was actually with Ann Voskamp. Yeah. And then I also did it with my small group where it was the turning point. It was the moment where I said out loud what I've been going through and two people and then 10 people began to enter fast, pray with me, and I was set free. So- it is the moment when you say out loud, this is what's hard, but the barriers to your question are two, I believe, and, and it sums up the many, right? We have lots, but shame and pain. Shame and pain are the two. So we feel embarrassed. We want to be better than we are. We don't want to be a burden. We don't want to take the oxygen out of the room. We don't want it to be about us. That's, that's thoughts I've had. I have shame that I, that I don't have a more spiritual answer for a lot of the problems that I'm facing. I feel shame that... My problem isn't as bad as your problem, but yet it's causing me pain and tears. Um, and there's all kinds of shame. There's shame that I don't want to share with you the things that are binding me because you'll judge it or there's mistakes in my past that I've never shared with anybody. And then pain is I've done it and I've gotten hurt. I've done it. And this is true. I've done it. I've been vulnerable with someone, gone to them for help, shared the most painful, most vulnerable parts of myself. And they used it against me and they shared it with other people. That's happened and that's real. And you cannot tell me it won't happen again. And so if I brave it and if I do it, then I'm trusting this person, entrusting them 
with something to harm me. That's not natural. Like we don't want to do that. That's not something that we wake up and go, wouldn't that be nice? Like just to cry with somebody and tell them all my problems at risk that they're going to hurt me like dozen other people have. When, you know, I knew this book was needed specifically when I started posting things about it. And this was, we're talking, this is five years ago that this book kind of came to me and that I knew one day I would write it. And, And I would post things about friendship and relationships and it was littered with comments. I, would, I rarely got more comments than when I posted about friendship. It was interesting. And the comments were, I have tried this and tried this and tried this and it has not worked. I have been hurt over and over again and I've finally given up. I am not braving this again because you have no idea how much I have been hurt by other people. And the problem with it is people are the best parts of life and they're the worst parts of life. That's the problem is I'm asking people to do something in this deep way of connecting that is not easy. It's not something we want to do. It's, it's brave work. And yet at our core, we are communal. It's not something yeah. we do. It's something we are. Right. And yet we don't think about it that way. So how do you, because everybody watching, listening has been there. Yeah. I've been there. And I remember a, a turning point in my life. It happened around my burnout 15 years ago where we had three or four critical inner friendships dissolve to the point at which now looking back on it, yeah, I own this, I own that, but some of it is mysterious. It was like, still doesn't make 100% sense. And I remember shriveling up into a relational ball and going, nobody's getting in anymore. Yeah. And then after a year, I felt God saying, well, that's stupid. Um, you need some friends. You're only 40. What are you doing? And, you know, and I've, I've learned to trust again, but just transparently, you know, I hired a performance coach, which is a nice word for therapist earlier this year to help me make deeper friendships Mm. in my life. What allows you to go back and trust again, hope again, believe again, put yourself out there knowing that it's probably going to happen again, where somebody you trust is going to betray you. Well, one, it's a lot of fun to have friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it is better. It is better. It's a richer life. Yeah. I, I, I can't tell you how good it is. Like, I love my friends, and when those friendships were threatened, you know, a few months ago, they weren't. By the way, I went like it. Basically, what had happened in my head is it had just grown and grown and grown and grown. Now there were some real conflicts I had to resolve, but a lot of it was in my own head, my own fear, uh, right? Okay. And so when I went to them to say, you know, this is this is what I feel. Um, there was a little bit of laughter of like, you were not going anywhere. You know, like <laughs> this is really hard right now, but we're not going anywhere. And, and so I think why it's worth it is there are those times where God is in the center of a relationship and it works. Mm. It still is hard and we still conflict and yet we still stay. And I think that's the hope is that there's a way to do relationship. And we talk about it, you know, in the book that, that there's, there's five things that you can kind of pull from from all of history mm. and see that there's a real way to do life in community that's beautiful and and it's transferable like it's it's actually something military people can do when they start over like it's it's right. something when when true. the research was done it was like okay this is this is a there's a there's a model here there's a thing right. and i found it really encouraging that that this is possible it's not something ethereal like some people are good with people and some people have friends and some people don't. It's mm. like, no, there's actually practices and things you can put in your life and make it happen. 
But I do think first you have to believe it's worth it. I personally, it's because it's fun and I believe it's a richer life. Some introverts are listening and not moved by that at all. (laughs) And I would say to them, it's the conviction that we are one of the first generations that has ever lived this isolated. And that should alarm us. Yeah. You kind of talk about that, don't you? Where everybody knew it was that trip to Italy. Yeah. Italy, Rwanda, Uganda. and, And really I go back through like all of the earth. Like when you look back at the history of mankind, like we are the first few generations since the industrial revolution that that has lived without a village-like existence. In village-like existences for all of time, they had to have each other to survive. There were gatherers, hunters, you know, people that were doing different roles in a society and they had to have each other to survive. Industrial revolution, all of a sudden people are, you know, driving out of the city to to work or or to their homes and then coming back in. And all of a sudden there was a real segregated life that was dislocated yeah. from each other. And so we don't have the same hundred people in our life for our entire lives. Most people in all generations haven't lived more than 20 miles from where they were born. Their family members, their friends are the same. The, that hundred people, it's their problems that, that keep them up at night. It's not the world's problems. It's, it's the hundred to 150 people in their village and, and they take care of each other. That's who they know is they're assigned to. Well, we've lost that assignment. We've lost our people to care for us and to care for them. So I want to go there and I want to talk about the five things. But before we leave this, I want to go back to when you talked about being the pastor's wife and kind of peeking out from that little wall. Here I am, vulnerable, whoop, back under. A um, lot of leaders can relate to that, yeah. whether they're in the corporate space or the ministry space. Um, one of the things that you do so beautifully in this book, and you did it and Get Out of Your Head as well, and you do it in your ministry, is you talk very openly about, hey, I just wrote a book on community and I had a full-on panic attack. And worried that my community was collapsing after I wrote a book on yeah. community, right? Yeah, and then I put it in the book. And the then front. you put it in the book. <laughs> yeah. And you it's even, embarrassing. You even name it that it's yeah. embarrassing. It is and then embarrassing. you say, perhaps this destroys my credibility. Yeah, I've and worried about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so to me, it elevated your credibility. Mm. I don't know why it did when I read it. But I also know if I was you trying to share that, I as a leader would think, well, this is going to destroy my credibility. So, yeah, because know. I have a higher value than credibility, I would say. And oh. I think, you know, I'm, I'm in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't and, we all? I and that's probably are. why I wrote that chapter. Yeah. Um, because I think what I'm learning is I'd rather be free than important. And, and I'm okay if I'm not important. And if that goes away, I will have my family and I will have my friends and I will be free. And writing that chapter, and it makes me cry because it does feel vulnerable. And, you know, I, I didn't, it's not fun to tell people that you want to respect you, that you had a panic attack like last week, right? That was when, it, when I wrote it, it was a week earlier that I'd had it. That's not fun. But I do believe that in saying it out loud and writing it, the fear went away. I had been up at night enough to have a panic attack, which I hadn't had in 10 years. And I've had lots of anxiety in my life, right? I mean, I started a whole, like there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of children, lots of ministry, lots of work. It was built, the enemy was using it and building it in my head every night to a level that I had a panic attack. And in writing the chapter, whether my editor said I could publish it or not, I got set free. And, and it was, it was like I, the devil didn't have me anymore. There wasn't this fear growing inside of me um, that was paralyzing me. And 
I mean, I was miserable. And, yeah, yeah. This and wasn't it was like building. manufactured. Yeah, it was like over a month. It wasn't right. like one right. day I thought everybody was mad at me. It was like over a month, strategic things happened in my life surrounding me from family to friends to longtime friends that all happened within a month. And I felt like a complete fraud. And I was playing out the future of being totally alone and talking about this book. And, and I was paralyzed. So I, I, again, I care more about being free. And I think that, and then isn't it ironic, right? That God would use it for good. Cause I do think it is, I trust. <laughs> I wouldn't actually let it go to publish, you know, to, to print unless I thought this is, this is helpful for people, right? right? This isn't it wouldn't a just be for my therapy, session. right? Right, right. I, I, in writing it, it was mm. therapy. In releasing it, it's belief and trust that it will help people. Well, and when you hear from people who have read your books or listened to your talks or you know accessed your content, I'm guessing yeah. it's those moments you hear about over and over and over again. Is it? Yeah, I remember my editor looked at me and said, "Jenny, before I wrote the book, she said, remember that everybody's going to look at you and think you have a million friends." And that your life is easy for you and friendships are easy for you. She just tucked that in in a conversation while we were outlining or something, right? And and I, I held on to that. And I was like, okay, this is going to be embarrassing top to bottom. And I remember some of my friends read it and they said, you really weren't afraid to be self-deprecating. Like you showed, because it wasn't just that chapter. The whole book is like basically my friend failures. Um, but I think it was more than that. It was, it was, I wanted, we were talking before the podcast about, I want to be in the field with people. I want to yeah. be beside them. And I want them to know I'm in the field. I don't want them. Right. I don't want them to think, oh, she's exaggerating that she's on the field. I'm like, no, it's really that hard. It's true that multiple people have quit me for the same reason as a friend. It is true. <laughs> and I have shed multiple tears over that. And I have not repaired all those friendships. And I wish I could, but they're not all repaired. And so there's a reality to, to this that doesn't have a bow. You know, do you mind sharing one of those reasons that you know as to why a friend yes, quit you? It's the main one, and it happens over and over again. And I, I hate it because um, it's everything we're talking about. It's that, it's that I don't need them, and so they feel like the friendship is one way, and they feel like I have it all together, and and I'm not needy. And that that was interesting to me because. I mean, it was hard for me to believe. And, and it, it wasn't even just hard for me to believe. It was hard for me to practice and change mm. because it's awkward. Like that snotty yeah. nose moment two nights ago isn't like, oh, yay, that's so fun. You know, it's like, those aren't the moments. It's, it's awkward. And even as I'm choosing to do it and looking back on it and it's happening, I'm cringing a little and it feels foolish. And I, I feel like a mess. It's so, vulnerability is vulnerable, right? I mean, it should be. And, and I think- Living at that level with people, I wasn't practiced. I I was more practiced at building walls and hiding. And and it was easier for me to get into their mess and their trouble than to get into mine. Ah, uh, so in other words, you were there for to, them. That's almost a pastor thing. I'm here to help you, but you go home depleted, but and nobody never, sees that. I never consciously thought about it. Sure. I don't like thinking about my own problems. I don't like mm. talking about them. I didn't see a point until I did a lot of therapy. So I think that was um, that was just easier. And it, it wasn't something really intentional even. And I think probably a lot of people listening relate to that, that they're not purposely cutting people out. They're not purposely, you know, being not vulnerable. They just don't know where or how or when or... And I would just say, there's never a good time. Like you just have to awkwardly do it. And 
and it will change your life. How do you determine or do you have a filter for who you think you can trust in friendship? Oh yeah, I have a filter. Um, Time. And I'll share a little and see how it goes. So I don't just... Like with these newfound convictions, I don't just run around sharing my heart with everybody. It's very, very small number of people that actually I would cry with and say all the things I said that night. But I don't think your circle, and, and part of the book talks about this, that there's circles for different purposes. Part of the way you get to your inner circle that we're all craving, those few friends that are safe and we can do this with, what we're doing is we're skipping a village. We're, we're skipping the other stages that lead to those four or five. We think they're just, they're just going to appear out of thin air, but the reality is they're going to come from Sunday school. They're going to come from standing by moms at a soccer game. They're going to come from work. They're going to come from lots of places that we've got to start realizing and building in our own minds. This is my village. It may not be, you know, a little bitty village out in Rwanda with huts, but, but you have one, like you have a little village and you may live in an urban setting, but there are certain people at your grocery store or on your block that you see regularly. And it's it's starting to see the village as a place to find the four to five. Because if you just go out waiting for the perfect four to five to fall in your lap, it's never gonna happen. Yeah. And you're gonna have to settle. I know this is really, um, it must sound funny to my good friends that are like, really, you settled for us? Really? Because we're awesome. You know, <laughs> that's what they're gonna say. But they're very confident humans. But I would just say all of us are settling to some degree because people are imperfect and mm. they always let us down. <laughs> like that's the, the facts are, I will let you down, you will let me down, and God will not let us down. And that is our hope, and that makes it okay, right? That that we can disappoint each other because of God. I just watched this with two of my friends. They went through a season where they were in conflict, and they did not want to make amends. And I was devastated because they're two of my very best friends. And I did not know if they could. And it was months. It wasn't weeks. It was months. And they were both like, I want to quit. I want to quit. And then the most amazing thing happened. One of them called me and said, I want to quit, but I was reading my Bible this morning and I don't think God's going to let me. I want to quit the friendship. I want right? to quit, yeah. each, right, the person. And and I don't think God's going to let me. And I've been forgiven so much and I can do this and I can forgive. And then they called that person. And again, it, it was awkward for a while and now they're great. It's just, wow. this is, you know, it, it, nobody does that awkward stuff. They don't do the awkward stuff on the front end. They don't do the awkward stuff in the middle. They do, they When it gets hard, everybody bails. You know, this disappointed me, so I'm going to walk away everybody's going to disappoint you. It's a fact. Know it. It helps you in life. Like it just, they will all disappoint you. What are you going to do with that? And are you really going to just say, I'm going to be lonely for the rest of my life? No, I don't think. This may be like something that you can dismiss out of hand, but you know, I have a pretty long pre-digital memory. The iPhone and social media has only been around for a decade and a half or so. Yeah. Yeah. Such a gift. But I wonder you know, when we didn't have a lot of options, pre-digital, it was the people around you, the people in your school, the people in your yeah. college class, the people in your neighborhood, and it took work to be related. And now we can see the lives, the perfectly curated lives of millions of people. I wonder, does that contribute to this ideal of friendship, this manicured friendship myth that we have in our heads? Well, yeah. yeah. Every, you think everybody else has friends, right? You think right, everybody else has right. Well, yet yeah, the numbers and the statistics say pre COVID, three in five admitted to feeling lonely of humans. So uh, I would imagine post-COVID, it's four and a half people. You know, that's what I <laughs> yeah. think. Four and a half people out of five. So yeah. so I think we have an epidemic, which the comfort of that is we aren't alone that we're alone, which means that other people need friends too. And so even the curated things, sure, social, there's no, <laughs> we could 
we could talk about that all day. Is, is social media messed it all up and jacked up our lives? Yes. Yeah. Matter of fact, all of it, relationships, self-esteem, um, mental health, all of it. Yes. However, we can make other choices on a day. We can, we can choose a different way to do life. And that's what I'm believing. I mean, I'm releasing a book that basically says our couple generations have it completely wrong compared to the rest of the world. Our society in the West has it completely wrong compared to even most of the world today. Most 80% of people today live in a village. So a lot of the world still lives this way. Like we are in a very small number of people on earth that has ever lived this lonely. Trying to do it and it's not going well. And then add technology and social media, add COVID. I mean, it's, it's bad. However, so yes, very grim. However, I think people are craving it more than they ever have. I think people are wanting to put their phones down at the table and, and connect. My, my two older kids, it's so precious. They both completely limit their social media. They're barely on it. Why? Because we were first generation money, right? We were the people that got the money and let's go spend it, right? Social media. We were the people that, that didn't know what to do with it. They, we just right. burned right through. And we, we were, you know, I remember uh, somebody said once that, that our maturity with technology is as old as technology. So we're 10 year old, you know, we're about to be whatever, whatever the <laughs> iPhone is, you know? That's true. Um, so, so we're barely, you know. We're middle schoolers. Right, we're middle schoolers now. So, so I would say that, uh, you know, my kids are doing it more wisely than me. They, they desire to be outdoors. They choose to be with their friends. They put their phones down. I can't get a hold of them sometimes because they've turned their phones off. They, they want to be present in their lives because they've seen the damage it can cause. My kids are the same way. Fascinating. And I think this next generation is going to do it better than us. I do. Wow. I think they want this. So three, four years ago, five years ago, you moved from Austin to Dallas. Yeah. That's a big move. It's only a few hours away, but you uproot everything. You start over again and you got to build a whole new tribe. You're going to keep a few of those friendships. And you make the same argument I do in my book, At Your Best. And I base this on research as well. You can basically have three to five close friends. Mm -hmm. That's it. And then you have your tribe or your friends mm -hmm. or your village. And then you have acquaintances on the mm -hmm. outside. How, when you moved, that was a pretty disruptive change. And you're starting over again. How did you build new friendships in a new city? Well, it was really painful and awkward and hard. And uh -huh. I was more concerned about my kids. I had four kids. I was moving into a public school that needed friends and didn't have any. So four kids, like each one of their little hearts and off to, mm -hmm. you know, this crazy environment. And so I was very worried about them the first year. And after they started to thrive and make friends, I kind of noticed, hey, I, I don't really have any. <laughs> and so I need to do this. <laughs> so and so, um, you know, I, I had to take a lot of leaps and a lot of mm -hmm. awkward, you know, steps to, to have friends. And I had to think bigger about community than just those two to three, I had or three to five. I had to start with like, I really want a network of people in my life that, that surround our family. And, and, you know, and that, that was everything from an SMU babysitter who's in the studio today, Caroline, who has continued to do life with us and work with us. Who's like another daughter. People think she is my daughter. And she, you know, she came in our life and just started doing laundry, started taking care of our kids, helped me do my life. That was and I never would have thought like, I'm going to be friends with a college student from SMU that's my babysitter. But we did so much life together that eventually she felt like a friend and she felt like a safe place. And I think I had to change my view of, 
friendships having exactly my life stage, exactly everything the same as me, and start to think out of the box about where community would come from for me. And it was such a fuller, richer experience because I, you know, I, I love having, like right now I'm discipling a whole living room full of younger girls that are in their twenties and they inspire me in, in such beautiful and unique ways. And Gigi Hornsberger, who was, you know, 15 years older than me, she was ahead of me with launching kids to college and she helped me with things. And I just, I began to see a richer experience with life when my community wasn't all these three to five people that were just like me. And we all thought the same and got along and everything was the same. And, and I just wanted, you know, that diversity in my life and, and I was open to it. And so I think it's a beautiful thing to, to start from scratch because you really do get to decide like, gosh, this is what I want to value. This is what I want to do. And for me, it started with, I'm going to pray that God brings me five friends in five miles. That was my specific prayer. And it happened. Um, we, we do have those five friends with five, in five miles. We have lots of friends outside of those five miles, lots, really good ones. But I wanted to see them at the grocery store. I wanted to go walking in the morning without a lot of work or pre-planning. I wanted to run dinner over last minute because I heard that, you know, they needed it. I, I just wanted to live life in proximity. Well, you make the argument that friendship is disruptive. And you say, hey, if you really want friends, be prepared to have your house interrupted, your shopping patterns change. You need a friend who can just show up with pizza and paper plates because they're just going to barge in for dinner that kind of thing. Can you talk about that? Because oh, we do live it. such curated lives where everything is scheduled by appointment and you do dinner parties, but like a lot of people don't have that kind of intimacy where people just come drop on over, in. Yeah. drop in. And again, you can't do that with a hundred people. You can't right. do that with, a whole, but you can with 15. You can say, hey, you have free, like you have, and we have to say it. So last night we had some new friends over and I really like them. They're younger than us. Um, but I'm energized by them. I enjoy time with them. And we had the greatest conversation. Well, when they got there, I was like, here's the house rules. You, you don't, I'm not necessarily going to offer you stuff. Like you help yourself to everything. Here's where everything is. Um, you walk in, like if we're just come in, like you don't knock, that's, we don't do that. Um, and sit down, like we're, this is how we do life. And and because they had, you know, they were real formal at first, you know, Everybody we're older, is. we're Everybody older, is. they don't know what to expect. They're, they're, and I'm like, listen, this is how we roll. So I have to say it like, this is who we are. This is how we do life. And I mean, I, it's so funny. My, my house, we built these bunk beds in the back of our house in an old garage that now we don't have a garage, but whatever. It wasn't very functional, good garage anyway. And so we put bunk beds up there in a big sofa and I will look back in my house and there's people's feet back there that I have no idea who they are. Like there's just people <laughs> sleeping back there. And my kids have invited friends over and they stay late and they, they slept over. Like I just, we run a place where it's like, you are welcome and we love that you're here and, and join our family. And it is, it's so fun. And I, I, it's very rarely, um, our house is empty. Very rarely is it quiet, but I love that. And I think that has brought that village-like experience to the middle of a suburb. I mean, not suburb, a big city. We live in the middle of the city. Yeah. And I, I love living that way. Can you walk us through the five, like- Sure. Yeah, that'd be great. So proximity is the first mm. one. So that's a five miles, like and, people who are close. Yep. And let me say this. You don't have to have all five to have <laughs> to have good friends, right? Yeah. But you probably need three to four is what I say. So, so maybe some of your best friends are far away. Right now I'm in group therapy with, with some of my favorite people on earth and we're doing it Zoom. And I, we could not be closer. Now we are not able to run that casserole over and Voss Camp is part of it as well. 
Um, it's always killed me that if Anna's going through something, I cannot take her food. It is, it is a physical pain that I could not take her something and hug her and be on her front porch, you know? Um, and, and so that proximity piece isn't essential, but it is really helpful. helpful. And some people have friends far away, but nobody close. And you need that. I would just say, I have a lot of friends far away. Some of my best friends are far away, but this was actually a book about building friends in proximity because I didn't have that. And I, I thought it was important and it is. So you can have both, but proximity is the first one. Um, and then vulnerability, which we've talked a lot about accountability, which you see throughout history in villages, that there's tribal elders, that there are abuelas in um, grandmothers, at a bo- grandmother uh, in lots of Hispanic communities. The, the abuelas will even just, they basically are grandmothers of the kids. And you can watch the movie In the Heights. Um, oh, I but I heard that. that from other people as yeah. well. Um, you can see in India um, that, that there are mothers and fathers of you know, a community and they come for wisdom and, and truth. So, you know, it doesn't have to be somebody older. All those examples were, but I think you've got to have somebody that'll grab you by the collar and say, hey, can't do that. <laughs> right, right. Right. I think that's important in life. It's some of my favorite friends do that a lot to me. Um, so accountability and then mission. I think you need something to care about besides each other and having a good time. I think if you don't care about the world, about other people, friendships get stale. So what would that look like? I think it can look like anything. I, my mom, it's bridge club. She has, she loves bridge Hmm. and she goes probably five times a week, four times a week. She knows everybody there. There's all kinds of people there that love God and there's all kinds of people that don't. And she, but they love her and they play bridge Hmm. together. It's something to do together that doesn't put so much pressure on the relationship, if that makes sense. And so I think you need missions. And and for some people, you already have it. You are raising kids together. For some people, it's, but I, ultimately believers, we have a great mission and that we're supposed to give yeah. God to the world together. And so I think thinking of ways to do that with your friends, I just think there needs to be a purpose to friendship. C.S. Lewis talks about it, that I don't care if you, you know, roll dice or I need to get the quote exact, but basically I don't care what activity you do, but the best friendships revolve around common interests and in, in doing things together. Yeah, you're right. Intimacy, my favorite definition of intimacy is intimacy is shared experience. Shared That's either John yes. Orberg or Dallas Willard. I'll get that right at some point. And I think you're right because it does take pressure. If it's all conversation, that can get very heavy sometimes. And it's like, no, let's go shopping or let's play golf or let's hang out or let's yeah. play crib or bridge or Well, but whatever. it also gives, like my mom is on mission there, right? So yeah. it's not about the bridge. It's a, right. she's there and she's causing trouble and she's loving people that don't know God. And she's, you know, so I think there's also just a, a purpose. And I think that always enriches friendships. Mm-hmm. If Gathering ha- contains a lot of my best friends, like my office, and we're all different ages, all different life stages, but we all feel so close because we're on mission together. There's something right. really bonding about mission. And, and then the last thing is consistency that you stay that you don't quit when it gets hard. And, and I'm not saying there's never a time to quit. There's certainly toxic relationships that cannot be healed. I love the verse that says, as much as it concerns you, live at peace with all men. It means it, you may not be able to fix the problem. You could, as much as you can, try to live at peace and the other person doesn't want to. So it's sometimes not possible or it's just toxic or it needs boundaries. But I think we've gotten too good at boundaries and not good enough at good friendships. Ooh. And we really need to be careful that we're not setting boundaries mm-hmm. around healthy relationships. 
So on that note, it's funny, we were connecting with some friends recently, some really good friends who, well, we live in the middle of nowhere, so we can't do five miles, but it's within 15 minutes of where we live. We're hanging out in our backyard and we got fairly vulnerable and just said, you know, it feels like we're initiating a lot of the contact with certain people that we knew together. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Are you? It's, and, a, it's probably the number one thing people say. Okay, well, let's- they initiate too much. I initiate too much. I'm waiting for it to yeah. be- Mutual. Mutual. It won't be. Okay, so let's go there. Get over it. Get I, over it. Okay. I, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to everybody. I'm talking to myself. Uh-huh. If you want friends, you you will initiate. If you, if you don't, don't initiate, but don't expect anybody to initiate with you. We live in a world where this is the lost art. So if you have the energy to do it, you better do it because, and as a byproduct, a lot of your friends may have friends because you initiate. Great, bonus. But it's just, I mean, there's a few lucky people that don't initiate and everybody initiates towards them. I've never really met any. I I think everybody that has friends initiates and keeps doing it because there's a lot of reasons why. The shame, the pain, the time, the busyness. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, but I think, I think, think it doesn't really matter. I'm like, I don't really care that you have to, not you. Yeah, yeah, I'm really trying not to be mean to you. It is personal. But it's a lot easier to be mean to like an audience or in a book, you know, (laughs) not to Carrie. I don't want to be mean to you. Um, But I just, I'm like, yeah, it's a problem. But we're all, it's it's everybody. And and it's not just you. And I think that's where you have to go. I mean, if, do they not want to be your friend? They'll say no, they won't come. So, so that's not the issue. So then it's like, do I just not want to give this energy? Do I want the energy in return? Yes, we all want the energy in return, but we may not get it and we're not here long. So it's like, let's just keep initiating and- And everybody lives busy lives. And what we discovered in that conversation is they felt like they were the ones who were initiating with their friends. And we kind of said, well, are you know the invitations that don't work out, are they welcome? They're like, they're life-giving. So mm. we're sitting there- going, okay, we've initiated a couple times now and we're not keeping score. There's no ledger. But you know, in your mind, you're like, okay, we've asked three or four times. I wonder if that's a hint. And they're like, no, those are life-giving. It's just, we got four kids and yeah. you know, we're running this direction. And it's, I wonder if so many people are sitting there going, no, this is this is like us too. We feel like we're initiating. And, and I would say people get rejected, right? Like yeah. that, I won't even I want to commend you because that conversation needs to happen more of rather than just walking away and assuming, right? Assuming yeah, that they don't want to be your friend bad. and never mm-hmm. calling again. You you brought it up. You're like, hey, are we annoying you basically? Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. a really vulnerable thing to do. And I think we need to have more conversations like that with with people before we walk away or quit. But but I do think that there is real rejection. There are people that are rejecting you. And I think that's yeah, why yeah. I feel the need to say and keep initiating because I've watched how many people are wounded and it's like, this isn't working, this isn't working. And I would say, if, it, if it's broken four times, do it a fifth. If you've initiated with four people and gotten rejected, do it a fifth. And that's hard to say. And if it happens, you know, eight times you have to, it, it is, it's hard work and it, you will face rejection. And I'm just saying you can't live without it. So you're going to have to do that. Like we can't, that's what you have to decide in your head. And I hope this book causes people to feel is, gosh, I don't have an option here. Like mm-hmm. I have to face mm-hmm. rejection. I have to face pain. I have to face my shame because I don't have an option. God built me to live this way. I'm going to be miserable unless I do. So this is a leadership podcast. One of the things as I was reflecting getting ready for this interview is, you know, I started with very small churches, 
when you mm. have a couple dozen people, you know everybody and yeah. their uncle and their dog's name and their cat's name and everything. And then things get busy and bigger. And I remember when we passed 200 people, and you know this, in ministry, I had to start setting up boundaries. Otherwise, sure. my whole life would be consumed. Yeah. And a lot of leaders listening would say they have been really good at boundaries. They've set up the walls. There is a system. Not mm-hmm. everybody has their cell number. You got to go through an assistant. And I always thought that was so stupid. And then you eventually you reach to, enough people yeah. that you're like, okay, no, I can't. I can't yeah. just be an open book to everybody. Um, but I think behind that is a lot of loneliness. And I think affluence does the same thing. It's true. Affluence and power. It's true. Really insulate you. I'd love for you. I'd love your thoughts on that. And feel free to disagree. Absolutely not. I won't disagree with that a bit because I think boundaries are needed and there's times for Mm. them, but I think we've gotten too good at them and we built them too tightly. And, and I had, and, and it wasn't even about my ministry or role. It was just, I'd been hurt and I was weary and I did have to give a lot of output everywhere. So I just saved my resources, quote, you know, right, right. You're tired. You you cocoon, you withdraw. Right. And so I think, so I didn't give margin time to people because I thought, gosh, I need to watch Netflix and rest. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but then I started saying yes. And I started going to these dinners because I had to start from scratch. So I had to say yes to things. So that that year I kind of was like, if people invite me somewhere, I'm going to go. Like I, you know, <laughs> my I'm wife and I go. did the same thing. And it just, I have, I have to make friends. We I've got to meet people yes. to even know who I want to be friends with. So I just would, I would just go in the beginning. And that was fun. And I'd been a no person for like 10 years. So it was like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, this is kind of new and cool. And, um, and I'm meeting all these new people. And, and so I think there's seasons and, and all that, but, but I would say boundaries are meant to keep you healthy. And, <laughs> and I would say you're not a very healthy person if, if in those walls you've, you've isolated yourself. So you can keep your boundaries, but you better invite about five to 10 people inside of them, you know, or you're just going to be really lonely with your lovely boundaries. So I think we've got to be careful that we have not isolated ourselves as, as leaders, as humans, that, you know, that nobody knows us and nobody can check on us and nobody can grab us by the collar. I've got so many people that grab me by the collar. Sometimes I'm like, I've already been called out. Okay. Like you don't have to do it. I've already been called out three times this week. Like I, I've put all these people in that are very hostile, you know, like, right. <laughs> but it's, but it's kept me healthy. And I, I don't know. I like it. So we're pushing up on time and you've been so generous but I got one more question for you, if you have time. Yeah. Okay. So in leadership, everybody wants a piece of you, right? Everybody wants to know Jenny Allen of, you know, if gathering and you've got like tens of thousands of people who follow you. And I think every pastor, every leader feels that way. How can you tell if someone really is a friend? Like, Um. uh, like, because there'll be a day where you're not doing the if stuff anymore. Sure. Maybe a day where you stop doing and where I will. And like, who's left? Because I find that some people, one of the things, Gordon McDonald, who's been on this podcast a lot, I got ready to step out of, um, you know, pretty much all leadership at Connexus Church, even dropping the teaching role about a year ago. And I went to mentors and I asked for advice. And Gordon told me, and I'm, I'm comfortable sharing this. He just said, oh, don't worry. They forget you pretty quickly. Sure. And that's true. Yeah. There's a handful of people that we talk with every week. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing how much of that was related to the office I held, not Mm. the person I was. And I wonder if you have any advice on that. I'm not saying that in a bitter way. I'm not saying that in a bitter way. That's a hard one. And I think it strikes at the disappointment 
that people do bring into our lives, right? Because mm. I don't know if there's a way to guard against people's motives. I don't know that we can see people's motives. And I'm yeah. one to usually trust their motives rather than to yeah, fear, fear them. I'm, I'm an optimist. And so I, I've operated with belief that, um, that the, people, the people closest to me feel safe to me and aren't trying to use me or, or are friends with me because I do this or that. But I, I know that there probably are those people out there. But I think, you know, one thing I've, I did when I moved to Dallas, because somebody said to me, you know, it might be hard to move to Dallas. A lot of people know you here. Where Austin was a little more secular and just, you know, right. as many people read Wasn't Christian books. Yeah. yeah. And so I was nervous and they were kind of making me nervous about that. And, and I remember thinking the first time, like I went to the mall or, or was in public and somebody recognized me. I remember thinking, oh no. Like I, I remember just kind of being paralyzed and like, oh no. And how am I going to make friends if, how am I going to know yeah, the difference? Yeah, they realize it's Yeah, Jenny it's Allen. not like I'm making friends. All my friends in Austin were my friends before I wrote. And, you know, so this was just a whole new experience. And, and I remember, <laughs> my daughter noticed it. When people would come up to me and they would tell me things, it was always so dear. It was like, you helped me with this problem. And I was like, that's really what friendship is anyway. And if I keep my head about me that, Ultimately, maybe they want something, but probably they've been blessed by, like, we probably feel like friends anyway. And just through my podcast and books, they probably, I probably would be friends with them, you know? And I just had to take off this really fake view of, of what I might appear as and just be like, you know what? I helped them through a problem and I bet they could help me through a problem if I had one. And I'm sure we'd be good friends. And I, I have felt that way every time I meet someone. It's like, gosh, I'm sure we'd be really good friends if we had time. There's a time problem, but I think most people are just trying to get through life. And like you, they really appreciate people that can help them. And I don't know that that's a bad thing. I think that's just the way we're all, we all are. And I hope, that, I hope that I'm helpful. And I hope that they feel like I'm their friend because... I'm sure we would be if we had time. <laughs> I love that heart. And I love that. You know, I feel the same way when I meet listeners and I meet, meet yeah. leaders. And yet we all have a certain capacity and yeah. we got to make sure that there is somebody in that inner circle of three to five. Yeah. The book is fantastic. Um, it's called Find Your People. It's out when? 2 two, no, two twenty two twenty two. It's February 22nd. 2022. Cool. That can only happen once every once, once in history, human history. <laughs> guess so. So I guess and so. And it just so happens. It so, just so happens. You know? yep. Well, it's fantastic. It'll be available widely wherever books are sold. And I would highly recommend it. You know, there are reads you do to prep for an interview and it's a reread for me. Mm. So I'm going back to do a deep dive. Oh, thank you. That means a lot to, to me. Well, no, it's You're sincere. so humble and dear. I love well, you. no, it's a reread and yeah. I'll be sharing it with friends as well. So thank I would you. encourage leaders because this is, this is an epidemic. I think it's yeah. a double epidemic in leadership. So I'm really grateful you went there. Yeah. And thanks for being so transparent. We didn't really get into writing styles and male <laughs> and female, but they'll be around three. We'll do I it love again. It. Let's do it. And uh, if people want to find you online, what's an easy place? Yeah, JennyAllen.com, J-E-N-N-I-E-Allen.com. And all my links are there. Great. Jenny, thank you. Yes. I loved it. Pretty rich, wasn't it? And honest, which are always the best conversations. Uh, you can get transcripts, details, quotes, shareables, and more over at kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 477. And again, if you haven't checked it out on YouTube, you can do that. Just subscribe there. And then when you want to watch instead of listen, you can do that as well. 
Don't forget that listeners of this podcast can receive a lifetime founders discount to their creative outreach platform from Promedia Fire, the new one. It's called Creativo. And you can go to creativo.org slash carry. That's C-R-E-A-T-I-V-O. So creative with an Evo at the end, dot org slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. And if you haven't ever taken the Unstuck Church Assessment, no better time to do it. It's free. And it'll tell you where your church is at and its life cycle. Go to theunstuckgroup.com slash carry. That's theunstuckgroup.com slash C-A-R-E-Y. Next episode, we have Bob Lodick coming up. He is the founder of Seed Time. I had the privilege of reading his new book. And he has a fascinating story about money, creating and scaling an online business, and a whole lot more. Here's an excerpt. It's a big world. It's a big internet. And there's a lot of people out there. And I think when it is a crowded space, I think that's often a clue that um, there's a lot of demand in that space. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the case of some of the people you mentioned, and I mean, I could name hundreds of others. There's a lot of people in the space. I think the key is really getting specific about who the person is you're talking to. Um, because as someone scales and grows, they can't be as super specific. It tends to get wider of the net of the people that they're talking to. Also coming up, Philip Yancey, Bob Goff, uh, Francesca Gino, and Voskamp, and a whole lot more. You get that automatically if you subscribe and you know it's free. If you haven't yet signed up for my online mastermind, I'm going to show you how to build an influential online presence. I'm going to open up the vault and share a little bit about how we got this podcast to 20 million downloads, uh, but also how we have built a platform that started as a hobby that has now attracted millions of leaders a year. In fact, leaders will access the content we produce more than one and a half million times a month. And uh, while individual mileage may vary, you need to get more eyeballs on the stuff that you're producing. Some of you are producing you know, emails, you send out a newsletter and you have a terrible open rate. How do you change that? Some of you, you're posting to social, you're getting three likes and you're like, nobody's paying attention. Well, you know what? Your online messaging matters because it's how you get heard today. And uh, whether you're leading a church, a business, or just yourself, uh, don't get discouraged and don't keep taking shots in the dark. March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, I'm hosting a free mastermind on how to build an influential online presence without losing your integrity, without losing your soul, without going to gimmicks and tricks and the latest hacks. Uh, this is quality stuff, I think, for leaders. And it's March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. You can register for free by going to influencekickstarter.com. That's influencekickstarter.com. I want to get you kickstarting your influence. So join me for the mastermind at influencekickstarter.com. Why don't you bring your entire team? Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is such a joy to be able to do this with you. Thank you for the ratings and reviews you leave. And thank you for trusting us with your time once again this week. Continues to be an incredible year so far. Thank you to everybody. And uh, I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.